All right, I'm going to start. So if you're grabbing coffee or still giving your offering, just make your way in as quickly as you can. And uh, I just, from um, my point, I just want to commend you guys because uh, I see that box over there is very full for gifts for uh, um, TML, Touching Miami with Love. And for, you know, a church of our size, you all are very generous. And so I'd just like you to give yourselves a little hand clap. So you can clap, celebrate. This is good. We have one year where uh, a friend of mine pastors an extremely large church, like probably 30 times at least our size. And uh, we gave more proportionally than, uh, than they did. So I was pretty happy about that. I was like, yeah, you guys. So anyway. Little competition thing between yeah. people. That's right. You got to play to win. So we're doing peace on earth, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about peace on earth this month. And we want to understand what peace is in God's economy. And so we're going to review a little bit from last week, and then we're going to go into something new. Um, the Bible says this. And suddenly there was a multitude in Luke, where the angel was speaking over the shepherds, and he said, "Glory to God on earth, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men." The idea of God's peace is not as men see peace. We think peace, oftentimes, we just want peace. Peace, we, re- we misrepresent peace with sort of tranquility. And while that might be an aspect of peace, it's not exactly what God has in mind. When, when he's speaking from the context of his word and from his heart, peace is interwoven with this understanding of justice. So peace from God's economy means to flourish in every way. And so if you don't think God's a blessing God, what the Hebrew people would use to say, anybody know how they greeted one another? What word did they use? Shalom. And what does shalom mean? Peace. So when they would greet one another, they'd go, be blessed, be flourished, rise in every way. That's what that word means. And so when the Lord is the Prince of Peace, he's the prince who causes your life to rise and flourish in every way. And what we think is serenity now, that's kind of how we think, you know, peace, God, give me peace. His peace is related to his blessing and his peace is related to prosperity or or abundance in every area of your life, spiritually, emotionally and physically. It's also related to justice. Peace and justice go hand in hand, in particular in the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us a frame and a context from which we draw a lot of our New Testament understandings. And so justice in God's eyes, say this with me, justice is the right use of power. Injustice is the wrong use of power. So when we see injustice in the world, we see people who are in power, right? And they're perpetrating that power wrongly. That's injustice. Justice is when you have the power and the ability and you use it rightly. Rightly, Bible says righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. God, it matters a lot to him what is right. And it matters a lot to him that power is used correctly because he sits upon it. He rests upon what right use of power. And this is where the Bible comes in. It says for those who know what to do that is right and don't do it to them that it is sin. It is not a sin of condemnation. It is a sin of missing the mark. You're missing your appropriated destiny. And what we oftentimes relate that to is self-management. Well, I know what to do and I don't do it. And then, you know, like we're managing ourselves. What God is actually saying is if you have a power and an ability in the world to bring change or to bring transformation or to use the power that I've given to you and you don't use it, you're missing it. 
That's, that's an entirely different frame of what that word is actually saying. You understand? So what has to happen as Christians is we get, so we get very self-managed. We, we're very much about self-management. Discipline is the lowest form of discipleship. It's the lowest form. If you're only living at the level of discipline, there's nothing wrong with living at discipline. But you need to understand you're living at the lowest form of discipleship. The higher calling is into the spirit. When you're in the spirit, we follow and become part from the spirit and we live from the spirit and we do as the spirit. We have the mind of Christ and the will of God leading our lives. That's the highest form. That's what God wants from us people. He doesn't want us living at a level of self-management all the time. Don't smoke, drink or chew or hang out with those that do. And we're constantly evaluating our life. And when then we're constantly evaluating the lives of others, that is not what he wants. The Bible actually tells us to regard no one according to the flesh. We're not even to see the person from a fleshly standpoint. We're to see him from a spiritual standpoint. You're not even to regard yourself that way. And while discipline is good, I'm not taking anything away from discipline. You just need to know that that's the elementary part of your faith. That is not the higher place. The higher place is to be led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. Is that not what the Word of God says? It tells exactly what it tells us, that if we walk in the Spirit, we don't fulfill. So you don't have to worry about self-management if you're in the Spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Come on. So Isaiah says this. This is something we're going to work on this year. I'm going to try to work on this a little bit off of Isaiah 58. We want to try to create a charter for our church that's related out of Isaiah 58. I believe this is a mandate. I believe it's a mandate given to the church. And if we'll understand what this means and we begin to press in to understand what God is actually saying, this is what I want. It starts off this way. He tells the prophet, I want you to speak to these people who are seeking me as though they want to know my ways. And so he says, I want. So they're seeking me as if they want to know what I want, what I want. So I want you to tell them exactly what it is that I want. And so the Lord says this. Is this not the fast because they were seeking God. They were hungry for what he wanted. Is this not the bread or the fast? Is this not what I want you to do? Is this not what I want you to provide? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. This is the role of the New Testament Christian, and this is the role of the New Testament church. You say, what does that mean? That's the question, isn't it? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Well, that's pretty obvious. Is it not to bring into your house the poor who are cast out when you see them naked, that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh? What's this say? We talk about conditional promises here, right? Where there's a promise that's activated by an action that we have. When we move into the action, we actually turn the key in the door and open the door. Well, God says your righteousness, your light will break forth like the morning. Boom! It's going to be, there's going to be an illumination in you and through you if you do these things. Your healing will spring forth speedily. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory, the goodness of the Lord will guard your rear, your, will be your rear guard. And the Lord says, then you'll call on me and I'll answer you. Then you'll cry and you'll say, here I am. This chapter goes on down into some very intricate things that really interest me where the Lord says that the, the, when we do these things, and we take away the pointing of the finger. We take away critical spirits when we're critical and we're, when we're uh, um, uh, antagonistic and frustrated. Our jealousies are rooted in our willingness to settle for less. 
In fact, we can say that together. The people, I'm jealous of others simply because I am willing to settle for less. That's right. The people that you're jealous of are simply from a position that you're, you've settled for less. You don't want to, they've put, gone someplace, they've done something, you've not made the investment, the time, the commitment to go there. Or the prayer to push into those ways. It continues on and it talks about pointing of the finger. Accusation talks about critical spirit. If we'll get rid of these things, if we'll stop saying that the burden, that everything God tells us is a burden, huh? Hello? Hello? The Lord says, when you stop telling me and you stop complaining against the things I ask of you, I got to go to church. Complain, complain, complain. I got to serve Jesus. Complain, complain, complain. I got to buy a Christmas gift. Complain, complain, complain. I got to give in the offering. Complain, complain, complain. Anybody here? I got to invite somebody to Christmas service. Complain, complain, complain. If you'll stop saying the things that I ask you to do are a burden to you, if you'll lift that off of you, then something's going to come into your life. And he says you'll repair breaches, you'll restore wasted cities, and you'll raise up foundations of many generations. Well, that's something I want to do. I want to raise up the foundations of many generations. That interests me. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know what that looks like, but that, I'm pretty interested in that. And how do we raise up foundations of generations? Those are predicated upon everything he said above that. So if we want to raise up foundations of many generations, then we need to look at what's on top of that. What is he actually asking of us as a, part, as a people, individuals, and as a collection of a church? What is it that he's actually asking? Can we do those things? Are we willing to orient ourselves that way? Because God puts a promise attached to that. He's, he's attaching something. He's saying, I'm going to manifest. I'll make this known if you'll begin to do these things. I'm sorry. That's, that sounds like a pretty good offer. I don't believe God lies. Do you? Huh? Anybody? His promises, say this with me. His promises are not poems. They're not just there for our literary, oh, wow, that's so lyrical. And, you know, look at, the, look at the constructs of this phrasing. Look how Isaiah just blends words and phrases and how, you know, poetic is, is this passage of Scripture. God doesn't intend it to be a poem. He intends it to be a promise that he fulfills. He's trying to show you this is a door that I want to break into the world through. But I need you to open it and I need you to usher me in. And we cannot usher God in in certain ways unless we fulfill the prescribed mandate. And the prescribed mandate is not relevant to us doing it and figuring it out ourselves. It's an issue of owning it and say, okay, I see that. How do we do that? You see the idea? We recognize it and we partner. We recognize it and we partner. This is how the word of the Lord is fulfilled in your life. He gives you a word, but he doesn't expect you to figure it out. You're to take it back to him and go, okay, now what? And then you do that, and then you go back and you go, now what? That's the way it is all the way across the board. It is a codependent relationship. It is a father-daughter, father-son relationship. It is, inter, it is interwovenly dependent, and it is a codependent. In other words, codependence means you can't do it without him. Great error among the Christian is either we don't believe God's speaking, and we just go, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. God's going to do what God's going to do. I'm just going to sit back and occupy until Jesus comes. That is a tragic error. That is, you've completely missed the call of God. 
And then we've got people that hear the word of God or they believe he speaks, but they never seek him for a word or they do believe that he speaks. And when he seeks and when they give them the word, they think it's their responsibility to fulfill it or they think it's their responsibility to figure it out. It's not your responsibility to figure out. It should say it with me. It's my responsibility to partner. You partner back with the Lord on what he told you. That's how it works. It's a constant relationship. Constant relationship. Back and forth. Back and forth. Peace and justice. There is one in the scripture. Next slide. Shalom is universally flourishing. Righteousness is the right use of power. Having the ability and the, the power and the ability to respond. That's what's called responsibility. Responsibility is rooted in the word and with an ability to respond. Do you have an ability to respond? Then you have a responsibility. Understand that? We think responsibility is keeping our word. That's not the intent. Can you look at this situation and can you say, I have an ability to respond to that? If you have an ability to respond, then you have a responsibility. We get it? Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. We think in individual rights when it comes to peace. Biblical is about the flourishing of the collective whole. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are cities on a hill. We are the light bringers to the world. We shouldn't condemn governments when there's no light in the world. We should look to the church. We shouldn't condemn societies when there's injustice within the society because the church's responsibility is to fulfill that. You say, that's a pretty big calling. Yes, it is. It's also, it's not just a calling, it's an honor. So what we have to do as individual bodies is figure out what our mandates are what is God calling this church to fulfill? And what are the aspects of that? And then how do we go about it? Each church has a yoke. Each church has a mantle. Each church has a mandate. That doesn't mean we're fulfilling them. The only way you're going to start fulfilling is if you start recognizing that you have one. Is that we start recognizing that there is one. I want to recognize that there is one. <laughs> In order that we fulfill it. Anybody with me? You know what I'm saying? We have a purpose. We have a mission. There's a mandate in this world. It's always about us bringing it into the world. It's an interdependence relationship upon one another, an interdependence relationship with the Lord, but it's a codependent relationship with him. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the idea of peace and justice. We don't bring serenity. We bring the flourishing of God to heaven, to, to earth. We bring the blessing of the Lord to the earth because we carry his world we don't bring justice in human terms. We bring justice from his terms because he gives us his power and we're to take his power and use it rightly. And here I'll point out error again. Churches believe that there is no power, that God just, just Jesus rose from the dead and there's no longer any miracles. I always were going to go, there's no miracles? And they're like, nope, no more miracles. Pastors actually teach this stuff to churches all over the city and all over the country and all over the world. This is actually a, a theology. And I always say there's no, I know, how sad, right? How sad. And so I'll say to them, no miracles? And they'll go, nope, all the miracles died with the apostles. And I'm like, including salvation? Well, of course, no, not that one. So Jesus withdrew all the miracles except the miracle of salvation. Because salvation itself is a miracle. Can we agree? You can't save yourself. That's the first miracle the Christian experiences. You're born into his world by a miracle. Do you not think that if you're born into something, you carry the DNA of that? When you're born with a child, that child carries your DNA, don't they? They look like you. 
They talk like you. Sometimes you wonder, where did they come from? You know, you, but there's still, some sim- there's still some similarities there. They carry you. You're born of your father. You're born of miracle power. You carry that DNA. Come on. How foolish are we? Professing godliness but denying the power thereof is the mark of the church of the last day. God help us. God help us. It's just sad, man. It's beyond sad. We create doctrines to justify being cowards. That's what we do. So we can feel all warm and fuzzy and in control. But because we've created a doctrine to justify why we are cowards and unwilling to pursue the things that God has set before us. We safe and secure with our warm doctrinal robes. Got it all figured out. He's not, man, it's a mystery, man. And it's messy. And we don't want it messy. Jesus doesn't have a problem with a mess. Aren't you glad? He doesn't have a problem with a mess. What he has a problem with is cowards. He has no problem with daring faith and messing it up and going, well, what did we learn from that, Kevin? Well, I jumped off the cliff. Well, you know, that was great. You jumped off, but this maybe let's do it a little differently next time. That's how he works. He doesn't have a problem with people who are willing to jump. He has a problem with the, with the cowards. The cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. The cowardly have no inheritance in the kingdom. No inheritance to the coward. We cannot be cowards. We've been given, say it with me, I possess the spirit of a lion. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the risen Jesus Christ. He lives in me. Therefore, I will not be a coward. I will not be afraid. Jesus embraced the cross. He willingly went into it. And that same spirit, he embedded that DNA into those who would follow him. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me. Isn't that what he said? So clearly he's given into us an ability and a power to go beyond ourselves by his spirit. Next slide. This is completely not where I wanted to go, but I'm just going to, I'm feeling good on this. I'm like, woo, this is good. (laughs) So we're going to talk about peace through prayer this morning. We're going to seek God, you know, for a breakthrough. You say, what does prayer have to do with peace? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, Philippians says this, don't be anxious for anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And the peace, the shalom, the flourishing of God, which transcends understanding, you will rise and you will flourish in the midst of difficult circumstances, will guard your heart and your mind. Prayer is a mystery to us. Can we agree with that? We don't know what it is. We don't know why it is. We can't figure it out. Like, what in the world? Why? What, 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 am I, what is it this all about? But it's something, it's a relational tool that God has given to us. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about simple prayers. There's levels, right? Jesus is a king, and so he walks in realms. Can we agree with that? Jesus doesn't have a realm. He has realms. So there are levels of realms that he walks in, and he's master of them all. And while there are places that you can go to and you can grow to in prayer, I want to talk to you this morning just about simple prayer. Simple prayer, okay? Prayer begins with with relational alignment. 
First thing that has to happen with prayer is it's an alignment relationally. You've got to begin to see yourself as a son and as a daughter before your father. That's number one. Okay? Can we agree with that? Even if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just agree with me. <laughs> Jesus said to our, Jesus' followers, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to play. Pray. He said, the first part of prayer is father. That was a big thing. What Jesus was saying is that you can be near and relationally to your God, to your creator. He is father. But that's a problem. A lot of us grew up without fathers. A lot of us grew up without, with, with, with bad fathers. Some of us had good fathers. But if you're going to play the percentages, I would dare say 60% come from the broken side. It might be even higher than that. And so sometimes it's hard for us to perceive God as a father when we've never had one. Or sometimes it's hard for us to perceive God as a father when we've, when we've had a, a, a very, really not a really good one. But what you can perceive God as, as a perfect father. Everything you've ever imagined a father to be, he is that and more. That's right. Everybody say this with me. He's better than I think. He's more loving than I think. He's more good than I think. Therefore... I must change the way I think. The Bible goes as far as to say we call him Abba, which means daddy. It says father or daddy. One translation says Papa. Pipo or pa, you know, whatever y'all call it. Pop, you know. We called, my, grand, my great-grandfather was called Pop. So whatever, whatever, whatever the term of endearment is, that's what it's saying. We not only call him father, we can relate to him with a term of endearment. It'd be endearing to him. We are chosen as sons and daughters. Anybody here raising kids or have risen, raised kids? Okay, what happens with raising children and having raised children is you, everybody say it with me, we learn to relate to our children. And our children learn to relate to us. So raising children in that type of relationship is always a learning environment. But with, when it comes to God, he knows us. So there's no learning on his side. The learning is on our side. He knows us. He's actually trying to extract things out of us that we don't even know are there. Because he knows it's there. He put it there. He's looking for things from us. We learn to relate to our father. Just like as a child... A child doesn't know all the perfect things to say. This is why people have a barrier in prayer, because they're like, wow, I don't, I don't even know what to say. You want to learn to pray, get around some people that pray. Right. Boom! Come on Sunday morning, we've got people in there praying down the house. You know, And you may feel the torrent of wind coming through the room, and you might be like, wow, I could never pray like that. But just stand in the environment. Stand in those environments. Get around people who consistently pray. But it's okay if you don't know. Say, it's okay if I don't know what to say. And here's why. Because children say to their parents in the best way, possible way at the stage of life that they're at. You understand that? A five-year-old isn't asking like a teenager. And a teenager isn't, related, isn't asking like a 20-something. And on goes the story. So it's okay if you don't know exactly what to say. You can't make an, an, an error. There's no need to censor your prayers. I'm just being honest with you. We try to treat everything in these constrained forms, and God is more wild than you can possibly imagine. 
And he's okay with you expressing yourself to him at the stage of development that you are at. And that can be frustration. That can be, you can be mad. You can be disappointed. Isn't that what your children do to you? In the backseat of the car, crying and throwing the binky at you? Mommy, I wanted that toy. You know, I'm going to take off my chunk later. Don't you make me come back there. Don't you make me pull this car over. <laughs> we say it to him in the best way possible because what the Lord will do, because he's a good father, is he will teach you through the process. What he does not want is silence, ladies and gentlemen. What he does not want is an absence of relationship. You can sit silently before the Lord and still be relating to him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just in his presence and you're still relating to him. That's fine. But what he doesn't want from us, it's Jeremiah, big word for me. Jeremiah chapter 1 and 2, man, was huge for me. My people do not come to me days without number. I felt like it was taught to me one time, like, and my people don't come to me days without number. What's wrong with you? Come to the Lord. You know, and the Lord goes, that's not how I'm saying it, Kevin. I'm saying it for the broken heart. And my people don't come to me days without number. I am the fountain of living water. And they drink from pools that they cut out of the dirt. And I will give them clear water, yet they don't come to me. That's how he's talking. Big difference, right? Difference in tone. His tone is not like that. His tone is as a father compelling his children. His tone is out of a broken heart calling his children towards him. That's how he speaks. You don't have to censure your prayers, man. Aren't you glad? I'll tell you stories. I, I, I learned that lesson the hard way. I started talking to the Lord one day out of my pure frustration because I hadn't prayed for a long time because I was really disappointed. I know I'm the only one, right? Am I the only one that gets mad and doesn't talk to Jesus for a while, right? That was me when I was developing and I was growing in my relationship. And God will intentionally keep you absent from things because he's trying to draw you into different levels of relationships. That's what he wants. It's always about relationship with him. Every single thing is about relationship. If you get that, you're going to go far. You're going to go far. So I was telling the Lord a whole bunch of stuff. I wasn't feeling like I was being used correctly. Lord, you're not using me. On and on and on I would go. And I was just really on a rampage this day. And I remember I was driving in a car. And the overwhelming feeling I got from him, the presence that he was giving me was, wow. You're talking to me, Kevin. It's been a while. Thank me. You're talking to me. That's awesome. <laughs> and he began to minister back to me. He can't minister back to you if you don't give him anything. You have to give him something in order to minister back to you. You guys understand that? So it's okay. People go, I don't know. I don't want to get mad at God. I don't want to get mad at God. Well, stop lying to yourself because you already get mad at him. Well, I wouldn't admit that in church. Well, you need to admit that somewhere. He's a rock of offense, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to be offended at him sometimes. And you know what he offends you at? He offends you at where you think you're right. You think you're so right. And you think you know so much. And he offends you by showing you you don't. He knows more. That's the point. And what we, he's doing is he's breaking and unrooting the selfish pride out of you. 
until you are a son and daughter before him and says, I have no ideas, Lord. You're the best idea I got. You're everything. I know nothing. You know all. I trust you. I engage you. I believe you. I need a word. Then all of a sudden we, we're developing a dynamic, a dynamic relationship. Now you're living. In him we live, move, and have our being. Now life itself becomes codependent upon him because he starts teaching you. He'll give you your way so you know. He'll give it to you. You think you know best? Off you go. Yeah. God always speaks to me with words. He shows me in his word. You said, I said, come near. And you said, no, I won't. This is in Isaiah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had that? The Lord says, come near. And you go, no, I won't. And it says, and so you will run. And so you said, no, I will run. And the Lord, this is what the scripture says. And so you will run, the Lord says. But what is pursuing you will be faster than you and will overtake you. And you will find yourself standing on a hill trembling. And when you find yourself being overtaken and standing on a hill trembling, he gives them a little remember. Remember that I will wait for you that I may be gracious to you. So he says, you want to run? Go for it. But know where this is going to take you. You're going to be trembling on a hill. Your will and your intentions, apart from me, are going to leave you exposed and without not anything to cling to. And when you find yourself at that place, remember that I've been waiting for you so that I could be gracious to you. Grace is his enabling power. Next slide, please. Keep on asking, keep on, keep, on, keep on asking and you will be given. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, I'm not even reading it, I'm just trying to quote, paraphrase it. For everyone who asks will receive and everyone who seeks will find and everyone who knocks it will be open to you. Ask, seek, and knock. First letters, A-S-K. Ask, seek, and knock. So what's he trying to say? He's trying to say, ask. Ask. You say, ask for what? Ask for anything and everything. You say, I'm going to freak him out. Freak him out. Freak him out. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. That would freak me out. I mean, if I ask, I'll give you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. You don't have to censor your prayers. Ask him because he'll use it to redirect you. He'll use it and he'll take your faith, which is what he wants. He'll take your faith and he'll begin to use it purposefully. He'll, he'll purify your desires. But he cannot purify your desires until you're asking him for something. Until you're pulling on him and you're giving him something. He, you're giving, when you ask him, you're giving him in faith. You're asking in faith. Freak him out. Freak him out. Freak him out. Yeah, I take that one to myself. Write that down. Kevin, start freaking out Jesus. That's what I need to do. I'm writing that one down for me, Noah. That one's coming on my list right there. Proximity makes it possible. We can ask because he's our father. Anybody have kids? When you're close to your dad, you ask him. My kids are around me. They get close to me. They ask me for everything. When they're right near me. When they, when they can't find me, they go looking for me. Where's dad? Where's mom? Where are they? Looking through the house. I'm hungry. Where are you? Looking. If there's a barrier, Sherry and I are locked away in the bedroom trying to get some solace with the blankets pulled over our heads, singing Serenity Now. Our kid's coming. Are you guys in there? They knock. Seek him. Look for his presence. Remove the barriers and remove the distractions, the guilt and the wrong thinking. 
So we seek God, we look for him, we find his presence. And when we're knocking, we're trying to remove the barriers. If you're pushing towards the Lord and it seems like there is a barrier, what is the barrier? Are there distractions? Do you have guilt and shame? This is a big one for Christians. They think guilt and shame. They think God doesn't love them anymore. That, that is such a perpetrated lie of the devil. I'm not saying you don't have to repent and cleanse your heart and make it right. I'm not saying that at all, but it does not retake God's presence or his love from you. We're just going to say this together. I did not make him love me. Therefore, I cannot make him unlove me. You didn't make him love you. There is nothing good about you that he looked at you and said, wow, I'm going to love you. That's why love is a choice. He sets his affections on you. You can love anybody. You just have to set your affections on him because that's what the father does. He sets his affections on you. And if he loved us while we were sinners, how much more does he love us now? What can separate us from the love of God? We can go on and on and on. But the point is, guilt and shame are a lie. They're a lie. That's what they are. They're, they're, ta- they're in- indicators of the enemy. What I've learned is, is when I'm pressing in, the Lord will point something out in my heart. And I was just back there pressing in. And I felt like the Lord was pointing something out in my heart in worship. And I just wanted to kind of blush it off and just wave as it had passed by. But then I was like, wait a second. That's the Holy Spirit pushing on me. And so I was, I'm owning something or I'm holding something and I have to give it back to him. That's what you do. That's what repentance means is give it back. We hold anger. We hold bitterness. We hold resentment. We hold guilt. We hold shame. We hold judgmental attitudes. We hold a lot of things, don't we? Come on. Truth is in the room. Jesus is here. Okay. But that doesn't condemn you. It doesn't condemn you. That's the beauty of it all. <laughs> I'm not condemned, man. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Law of the Spirit has set me free. I'm not condemned. But it's a barrier. You understand the difference? There's a big difference between condemnation and a barrier. Condemnation means pff, you're just done, dude. You're out. Down for the count. A barrier is just an opposition to keep you from getting where you want to go. And so when God is pushing on these things and he's showing these areas of your life, all he's trying to do is get you to understand we've got to remove this barrier in order for you to move forward. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then you being evil, Jesus doesn't mince words there, okay? You guys are a bunch of sinners who only think selfishly and you only think about yourselves. So if you, being a person who only thinks about themselves, knows how to do good to their children... The father who does never thinks of himself, how much more does he know how to give what good things to you? It's perspective. Sometimes we have perspectives are wrong. You're not worthy. Guess what? Nobody is. Join the party. It's why grace is amazing. Receive from your generous God. You're not worthy. I wanted to clap. We had a table that was at the Christmas party that didn't win anything or whatever. They, they couldn't. I don't know if you were at that table, so don't get mad at me. But, you know, they didn't win anything. And I wanted, you know, and it was just like, you know, I wanted us to clap because all the losers in Jesus' economies get a crown. All the losers are winners. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? <laughs> Next slide. What he takes is he takes the losers and he makes them winners. He takes the outcasts and he makes them insiders. He takes what no one else wants 
and he makes something beautiful. He takes ashes and he creates beauty. This is who he is. This is who he is. We need to know who he is. So he will never, I don't know if you can see that. We spare no expense in bringing you the finest in uh, graphics here. So right there, that's a high-end, high-resolution graphic right there of that hand there. So anyway, he'll never give you what is hurtful or harm you. We have to have the right perspective. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you simple ways, because we're talking about simple prayer, right? You don't have to censor your prayer, but sometimes we need a guide, and your hands can be a guide. And we go off of this, okay? So there's different ways of praying it. There's different prayer models. This is one prayer model that's out there, and different people have different perspectives on how you do it. So this is what I'm going to give you this morning. Every day I will lift my hands and I will call upon you. So we lift our hands in prayer and we call upon the Lord. So if we want to understand out what our hands are, if you want to pray, you take your right hand and you realize, okay, this is the hand of God. I'm going to seek first what God wants. So the thumb is that Jesus was touch your world. So your thumb is the only finger that can touch all others. I don't know if you know that. You can try to get your pinky over there, but it just won't work. But your thumb can touch all others. So if we take our thumb and we believe that Jesus would touch our world, and so we begin to pray for leadership. Those who, this is what leadership is, you know, pointing finger. We pray for leadership. We pray for influencers. I don't want to stick that one up by itself because that's pretty dangerous. But <laughs> this one right here, right here is the one. Th- this one goes further than everyone. So we pray for influencers. We pray that God, those who can make change would make change. We pray for God's leadership in the world. We can pray for God's influence in the world. Your ring is your compassion finger. We pray for the cares that God's heart would be known. These are simple ways. The next one's going to be a lot clearer to you. It's going to relate back to you. And the small one is that God's truth would be known. So if we pray down these things, and these are just simple ways to pray with your finger, because this is going to try to just give you simple prayer, and just wake up and, Lord, that you would touch our world, that you would, pray, that you would just touch those who are leading our country, that you would touch those who are leading our city, that you would touch those leading our church, God, that those who have the power to make change, that they would make change in every area, in every arena. Lord, that your heart would be known. Your heart would be known in my family. Your heart would be known in a church. Your heart would be known in a city. Your, and that, Lord, your word, your truth would be known, that your word would go out into all the world. Your word would go out into our city. That's just simple prayer right there. And that's less than five minutes. I just gave you a simple prayer. And you just prayed very, very important things right there. Let, last slide. I'm out of time. This one is relates to you. So if you take your thumb and you relate to your thumb as being your heart, because truthfully, if you really understand where your heart is, that's where your life's going to go. And so what really matters to you so if you're going to pray over yourself and you're going to begin to pray that God would begin to do something in you, first of all, you take your thumb. And one of the first things is that you, God would set your heart right. Lord, whatever is not right in me, that you would make it heart right. Whatever is not straight with me and you, that you would make it right. That you would give me a pure heart. You would give me clean hands and a pure heart. You may ascend to the hill of the Lord, those with clean hands and a pure heart. The pointing finger is wisdom. Anybody need wisdom? So you can just do this in the morning. Lord, that my heart would be right before you this day. I give you my heart. Let my heart be clean. Father, I just ask you for wisdom that you could just literally do this while you're waiting for your hair to dry or something. You know, and then you could say, though, that you would raise and increase my influence, that I would become more influential in the world that you've placed me. You can play for your relationships, but this also relates to your needs. Lord, that you would just be alive in my relationships. Lord, that you would meet the needs that I have, that what are known and what are unknown. And then your small finger is your wants. It's pretty simple, right? Very simple guide that you can work and work off of. Because it's simple prayer. God wants you to relate. And what you'll offer him, if you will offer him this, 
and you will offer him simple prayers, you're creating a bridge for him to work back towards you. You understand that? He wants to work, but you have to give him a bridge to work back towards you from. And when you're asking him that, I guarantee if you start asking that your heart would be right, Holy Spirit's going to move on that. You start asking him every day, Lord, just give me wisdom for the day. Lord, he's going to give you wisdom, even if that's all you ask for. Just that little, little prayer, a little window of prayer. Lord, that you would begin to increase my influence in my world that you've placed me in. You're going to realize all of a sudden people are coming to you. They're looking to you for counsel. They're looking to you for guidance. And what is he doing? He's raising your influence. He's increasing your influence. That you begin to ask him for relationships and like whatever's going on, you know, whatever, we're all in some relationship of some kind. That we ask him to do something there, but also as it relates to your needs. Your needs matter to God. They matter. Lord, just meet my needs. Sometimes people don't even know what their needs are. That's okay. We ask God to meet what is known and what is unknown. I don't even know what I need. I don't even know what I want. I ask the Lord, show me what it is that I actually want. You can't get what you don't know you want. You understand that? You, would, you wouldn't know it if it showed up because you don't even know what you want. Come on, don't like, don't like amen me out the door here, guys. I mean, it's like, it's true. It's true. This is how God works with us. When God isn't doing anything, well, what have you asked him for? God isn't meeting my need. Have you asked him for anything? What is it that you want? What do you want? Very, very important thing. What do you want? What do you want? You're afraid of what you want. I'm going to tell you that right now. You should be afraid of what you want. Because it's bigger than you. Because what you want is at the heart of God itself. So I don't even have time to unpack that, but I gotta, because we've got to go. I'm going to stick around for second service. I'll give it to you. So anyway, we're going to break it up. So Father, we just, just, let me just bless you one more time. Let me bless you one more time. Lord, we just give you thanks for this day. God, we just give you thanks that you always have a full basket for us. You always have abundance just bread, God, just straight out of the oven. You always have substance. And we just bless you this morning. We sit at your table, God. We eat of your bread. We drink of your wine, Lord. We celebrate who you are. We take joy, God, in gladness that we didn't put ourselves at the table. You did. Nobody can take us away from that. Where do you want us there? So we're happy, Lord. <laughs> You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The things and the people and the places and things that are against us, they don't even understand why we succeed when we should fail. They don't understand why we stand when we should have fallen long ago. Because it's you, Lord. You are forever with us. We just lift the burden of guilt and shame in Jesus' name this morning. And God, we just put love, love, love glory, honor, and acceptance. Accepted in the beloved is the word I hear. And God, we just bless you for it. I honor these people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Christmas Eve service, traveler service is on this Saturday night at 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. So if you can't get enough of Christmas, this is your day. Thank you.